This weekend, though, we bring to a close a two-week series that we started last week called Unoffendable. I was reading about uh, the summer of 1863. Civil War has been going on and going on and going on. And Abraham Lincoln saw this incredible moment, this opportunity uh, to, to capture General Lee, who was pretty much trapped And so he gives orders to one of his generals, General George Meade, to go in and to capture General Lee. But General Meade completely ignores Abraham Lincoln's orders. As a result, General Lee escapes and the war continues. And at this, Abraham Lincoln wrote a letter to General Meade expressing his frustration and criticizing him for his leadership. Here's the letter. He writes, My dear General, if you could not safely attack Lee last Monday, then how can you possibly do so south of the river when you take with you very few, no more than two-thirds of the force that you had in hand? It would be unreasonable to expect, and I do not expect, that you can now affect much. Your golden opportunity is gone, and I am distressed immeasurably because of it. Signed, Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Now, don't we want to know how General George Meade responded to that criticism? Well, we'll never know. Because Abraham Lincoln never sent that letter. In fact, it was found among some other notes and letters that he wrote and yet never sent. Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of self-control once in a while? <laughs> like to not just hit the send button on that email that you just typed out feverishly, furiously perhaps, to not hit the arrow on the text message after you were just responding out of frustration and anger. Or don't you wish that some of the other people in your life that have brought criticisms to you would have maybe just hit the pause button for a moment or maybe held back from saying what they said or not said it in the way that they said it? And we all end up being so overly offended, right? I I can resonate, honestly, with with, uh, what Lee Eckloff says. He says, I realize that one of the diseases in my own life, uh, in my own soul, is the fear of conflict and criticism. I read another quote this week that said, if you live for the compliments, you'll die from the criticisms. It's real, isn't it? Criticism is part of our life, both receiving it And sometimes, yes, it needs to be given, but how do we accomplish this in a way that doesn't leave us feeling so offended? That's why as part of uh, closing this series, Unoffendable, we want to talk about criticism. We want to discover more of what destructive criticism looks like, feels like, what constructive criticism looks like, how we can go about that, and then how to share criticism in a way that has the best chance of not being so offensive and yet still speaking the truth, right? To do this, I want us to look at David, King David, found in the Old Testament. And David felt and faced some significant criticism, including what we would call destructive criticism. 
And probably all of us have been on the receiving end of this before, at least one time or another. Destructive criticism, we would define it this way. It's criticism that is meant to tear you down. It's a personal attack against you rather than focusing on the issue at hand. Destructive criticism sounds like you always and you never and here's why you are wrong without any help or advice on how to do it right. Why? Because it's not about the issue anymore. It's just about the person and just the attack. It's character assassination. Many of us in the room, we can think back to moments where somebody said something to us where it was just so personal and so they were, it was like they were on the prowl to take us down. And truth be told, there have been moments probably in all of our lives where we've also been the ones that was giving the destructive criticism. And we just, we went after them. And we just said what we said, and we didn't care about the results. Destructive criticism. And it leads to a lot of incredibly great offense in our world. Well, David faced some destructive criticism in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 5. Let's read the story. It says, As King David came to Behurim, a man came out of the village cursing at him. <laughs> what, nice, what a nice welcome. Uh, it was Shimei, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it away to your son Absalom. At last, at last you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. A little destructive, I'd say. I mean, man, he didn't mince words. I mean, he just said it like it was. But you could see just the vehement anger and the way that he went after David. And so it begs the question, how did David, the king at the time, I mean, this guy's kind of an idiot for saying such things to a king. In fact, some of David's entourage steps up to the plate to defend him. They said, why should this dead dog curse the Lord my king? And then he says, let me go over and cut off his head. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> a bit extreme. Like, I don't know if, okay, yeah, I was offended, but I, I mean, I don't know if that needs to happen, right? And yet, in reality, think about times in your life where somebody has just come at you, assassinated your character carelessly just spoken words. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a coach on the field and they came out at you in front of everybody else and it wasn't what, the, that what they were saying wasn't true or right, but it was the way that they said it and in front of everybody. Didn't you just long for somebody to like come to your defense? Right? Or maybe it's that, that cold, cutting email from a supervisor and you... I mean, you've been working your hind end off and all they can think about is the deadline and how you haven't lived up yet again. 
And you just wish, would somebody just, would somebody just help them understand, like see some of my side of the story? Or maybe it's, maybe it's that cutting remark from, from your spouse or, or from a family member. And again, maybe it wasn't what they said, it was the way that they said it. And you, you wish somebody would just defend you. Make things right. Call them, call them out. <laughs> well, what do we do? What did David do? I mean, he's the king. He has the right to do whatever he wants. But look at his response found in 2 Samuel 16, verse 10. We'll put it up on the screen. The king said, no. Who asked your, pin, your opinion, you sons of Zeruiah? If the Lord has told this man to curse me, who are you to stop him? Holy smoke, like, he had the right to do anything, and what does the king do? Nothing. In fact, he says, whoa, everybody just settle down? Let him speak. <laughs> Let him curse me, if that's what God has called him to do. You see, there was something in David's heart, and perhaps in his strength of leadership, that said, you know what? It doesn't matter how they're saying it, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to listen to it. And, and David knew a secret in this life of leadership and of being a Christ follower. It's, it's what Tim Keller says, even when it comes to destructive criticism. He says, even if only 20% of what is said is true, we can profit from criticism given by people even that are badly motivated or whom we don't respect. I would take it even farther to say, what if somebody's coming at you in the wrongest way and there's only 1% of truth in it? And 99% of what they're saying is just total, <laughs> yeah. But what if we could learn from that 1%? Think about how, how our... Our posture of humility and teachability would affect not only our lives, but our responses if we lived in an unoffendable way. Because our security, our meaning, our purpose is not found in somebody else's compliments or criticisms. And that we recognize that God uses people, even ill-minded people, to help us grow to sharpen us, to make us better. Well, that's destructive criticism, but the flip side of that is constructive criticism. And that, even though it's hard, it's a little bit easier to take. Constructive criticism, we would define this way. It's criticism that is meant at its core to build us up, to help us. It's said with the best of intentions in order to encourage us to become our best self. You know, every Saturday night after I share a message here, I go to one of my friends, Ken Rawson. He and his family always attend here on Saturday nights. He leads our middle school ministry. And my first question, either in person or I text him right after the service, is, Ken, what, do you, what did you think? What could I change? What could be better? Now, that's, it's dangerous because he might actually have something to say. You know, like, I'm opening myself up. Like, oh, what if he says, well, you know, you really lost us at that point, and... You know, or, 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 you know, I feel like, 
But here's the thing. I know Ken. I know Ken's heart. I know he cares about me. I know he loves me. I know he cares about our church and he wants the best for our church. And so I can invite that kind of criticism because I know it's coming from a constructive place. And we as Christ followers, we need this in our lives. We shouldn't get so offended so easily when something that someone said maybe is really for our good to help us to be constructive in our lives. And David, David didn't just face destructive criticism, but he too faced some constructive criticism. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's a story of when Nathan confronts David. Now, Nathan was a prophet, and God sent him to speak to David on God's behalf. And the scenario is this. Just a chapter before David, the king, in all his power, lost his way, made some terrible decisions, was filled with lust. He commits adultery, taking a woman that is not his own. Then he tries to cover it all up and has Bathsheba's husband Uriah put on the front lines of the battle zone where he knows that he's going to get killed. And David is just covering up and keeping it all a secret until God sends Nathan to bring criticism, constructive criticism to David. And what I love is the way that Nathan approached it. He didn't come out at David and say, man, what the heck? What were you thinking? He didn't attack him. He told him a story. And Nathan tells David this story about a man who took something that wasn't rightfully his. And by the end of the story, David is getting angry. He's like, man, that was just totally wrong. That guy should have never done that. And then Nathan looks at David. And with love, says, David, the story is about you. You're the man. And David, is, he is broken. He's confronted with a criticism that he knew was true. You ever, you ever got offended by something that somebody said to you? only to realize that the reason you were so offended and frustrated and angry is because deep down inside, you knew there was truth to it. And sometimes in those moments, our tendency is to just react and, oh, well, you just offended me and I'm about to offend you, <laughs> right? Or we, we complain when we're criticized when maybe... We should be confessing like David did. And that's what we find in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. Nathan speaks on God's behalf, calls him out, confronts him, and it says, And then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he didn't just confess to Nathan, he confessed to God. And we have the record of that very confession in Psalm 51, which is one of the most powerful, vulnerable, raw and yet beautiful prayers of repentance and confession that you could ever read. And in that, David says things like, God, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. 
And David's confession before God leads to David's restoration and God can still call David a man after his own heart. But I dare say that would have never happened if Nathan had not brought criticism to David's life in a constructive way. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but a fool only multiplies kisses. A fool will just tell you what you want to hear, but a real friend will tell you what you need to hear. Even criticism. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it. He says, nothing nothing can be more uh, compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. Friends, we need people in our lives that are willing to wound us, to criticize us out of a heart of love and care so that it might shape our lives and keep us on course to following Jesus and honoring Him with our lives. And yet we live in such a day and age where, well, you know, judge not lest you be judged. You know, and, and so, so we don't want to bring it at anybody and people are afraid to bring it at us. And yet, in the body of Christ, at least for us that claim to know Jesus and are trying to follow Him, God has put us in one another's lives to challenge each other, to exhort each other, sometimes to rebuke one another, but to do so in love. So let's not get so offended. Maybe some people are just trying to help. Maybe they didn't say it right. Maybe they said it wrong. Maybe, maybe it didn't come from the most pure intentions. But regardless, listen, if we are yielded and surrendered to God, He can use, whether it's de- destructive or constructive criticism, to shape our lives and make us better. Now that leads me to the last thing that we want to talk about for a few moments. What about offering criticism? You know, over this time that we've been talking, you maybe have thought of people that have, they've just attacked you and your character or maybe you, you've thought of people that have come to you and it hurt them to say what they said and it did come out of love, but maybe you didn't respond the best way. And perhaps in this time, you're even thinking about somebody that you need to say something hard to and you've just avoided it or, or you've just held back because you, know, you don't want to cause a blow up. You don't want to rock the boat. Well, how do we, how do we offer criticism in the most unoffendable way? And I think what Jesus had to say in the Gospels gives us a, a, a powerful tool to know how to offer criticism in the best way possible. It's known as the golden rule. <laughs> Whether you're religious, irreligious, most people know these words, these powerful words of truth that Jesus spoke. Matthew seven twelve. Jesus said, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Or do to others as you would have them do unto you. Well, how does that apply when we talk about criticism? Well, it means uh, if, if you knew that somebody in your life needed to bring some criticism to you, to say something hard, how would you want them to say it? 
How would you want them to go about it? And then when you think about speaking to somebody else, do that. Do it the way that you would want others to share it with you. I think there's some, some, some questions that we could ask ourselves by applying the golden rule to, to the criticism that we may need to share or bring to someone else. Number one, ask ourselves the question, have I prayed about this more than I've talked about it with others? Now, I think there is a place, sometimes I've gone to somebody that I trust to say, listen, i got to have this hard conversation with so-and-so. Help me to know how to say this the best way. That's seeking wisdom. But I also know there have been times where I've had a problem with somebody else and I went to talk to this person about it, and it wasn't to get wisdom, it was just to get some more dirt. <laughs> or it was just to vent, or it was just to, you know, show them how that person's really been acting. And so a great question for us to challenge ourselves with, when we know that we've got to go into a conversation and say something hard, have I prayed about this, really prayed about this, so that God can guide my heart, so that God can prepare their heart, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Secondly, am I making it more about the issue or about the person? Am I just ticked at the person and I want to lash out at them? Or am I going to focus on the issue and say, listen, it's this. You were a part of it, but you're not the enemy. Ask ourselves that question. And thirdly, am I wounding to hurt or am I wounding to love? Because wounds from a friend can be trusted. Because it comes out of love. Or am I criticizing, critiquing just to tear that person down or to put them into their place? You guys, we're living in such a crazy time. And everybody's so easily offended. And we have not done the best job at speaking in love or responding in love. And Jesus is calling us to live differently, to live an unoffendable life. Now, that's, that's hard. In fact, it's impossible on our own. So I want to close our time with some next steps in prayer. As, as you've thought about, you know, those destructive criticisms that have come into your life at times and you know you're wounded or you're hurt or you're still angry or there's still a divide between you and that person, how do we deal with that? Well, if it's been destructive criticism, maybe, maybe our prayer is, Father, I think 80% of what was said to me was completely false, but I'm praying that you would allow me to learn from the other 20%. Can you imagine how it changed things if we if we lean into even destructive criticism to say, Lord, what do you want to teach me still? Secondly, maybe it's constructive criticism and somebody came to you out of love, out of care, and yet you didn't take it the right way or you were offended or, or it's, it's, it's caused damage. Maybe it means, Father, thank you for allowing me to be wounded in love and I'm here today to confess and to ask for a clean heart before you. And then finally, 
when it comes to offering criticism, if you've been sitting here this, this morning and you're thinking about somebody and a conversation and a hard thing and something that you've held back and yet it needs to be said because it's truth, maybe the prayer is, Father, you know the person that I need to talk to. I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but will you help me say it in a way that honors your golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, it seems so simple, doesn't it? But we're so hurt, we're so offended, we're so angry, we're so sinful that we need a Savior to change our hearts. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you have not given up on me, on us. God, for the things that sometimes have been said to us, done to us, where we've been so deeply cut because it, it came from a, an, a place of anger and someone was just trying to assassinate our character. God, help us to find the core of our character in you and help us to have a humility that says even in that, there's something that I can listen to and learn. And God, for our friends in our life that are willing to speak truth, help us to invite that more and more. Help And help us to be willing to wound, to speak truth, but to speak truth with the deepest of love and care. God, I pray that you would lead us from this place and that you would make us more and more unoffendable. Because we don't have to find our meaning and purpose in the compliments or the criticisms. We find our worth in Christ, who loved us and gave his very life for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your weekend. You're all dismissed.